Well, this morning, we're going to look at how James calls us to tell the truth and not lie. Tell the truth, not lie. And, you know, some cultures take lying really seriously, and other cultures really don't take it that seriously. But what's important is not the culture. What's important is God. And God, the God who created the universe, the God who created you, the God who's watching us right now, God takes lying very seriously. One reason I mention that is because of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Are you familiar with that in Acts chapter 5? Here's what was going on there. There was some very poor people in the early church, struggled to eat, struggled to have shelter. There were also some wealthy people in the early church who owned land and homes and property. And God touched the hearts of many of those wealthy people. He humbled them with their salvation freely given to them in Christ by faith alone. He filled them with the joy of beholding Christ's glory and worshiping him. They were so humbled, they were so filled that they wanted to sell some of their property to care for the poor people in their midst. And so many of the wealthy sold homes, property, lands, gave the money to the apostles to care for the poor. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to get in on that. And so they sold a piece of property but they wanted it to look like they were giving a higher proportion of the proceeds than they were actually giving. Maybe they sold a piece of property for a million Durham, million Durham, but they came to the apostles and said, we sold this and we're giving all 500,000 Durham to the church for the glory of Jesus. Now, the problem wasn't how much they gave. That was their choice. They could have given all or Nothing or some. That was up to them. That was not the problem. The problem was that they lied. And what happened? God struck them dead on the spot. And so God takes lying very seriously. And James, as he's coming to the end of his letter, he wants to remind his readers us to take lying seriously. So let's take a look at what he says. James chapter 5, verse 12. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the, the background of this letter. So this letter was written at around AD 44, and it was written by James, who was a leader of the church in Jerusalem, to some of the church members who had to flee Jerusalem to avoid persecution. So they'd fled up north, were living in northern Palestine and Syria. And he's writing this letter to them to strengthen them in trusting Christ, to encourage them to keep trusting Christ, to warn them not to turn away from trusting Christ. And now as he comes to the end of the letter, we've got, I think, three more sermons here in James. As he's coming to the end. He wants to give them a warning about lying. And so look at what he says in James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So here James is telling us something not to do and then he tells us something to do. So what does he tell us not to do? Okay, read the first phrase of verse 12 again. But above all my brothers... Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. 
Okay, now when James talks about swearing, he's not talking about using profanities or vulgarities. We, we shouldn't do that either. But what he's talking about is backing up what you say with an appeal to a higher authority. He's telling us not to do that. But that might raise some questions. A couple weeks ago, Jan and I went to the American Embassy to have some documents notarized. And when we were there, we had to raise our right hands and we had to swear that everything we'd written in the documents were true and that we were the people we were purporting to be. So was that wrong to do? I mean, I would guess most all of us have been in settings where we've been called upon to swear, that is to back up what we're saying by an appeal to a higher authority. Is that wrong? I don't think so because of what we see in other scriptures. Let me show you two, one Old Testament, one New Testament. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Here Moses is talking, and he says, Deuteronomy 6, 13, I think we've got it up on the screen. Thank you, Tim. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. In other words, don't swear by Baal or by Ashtoreth or any other god, false gods. Swear by God is what Moses is calling us to do. So here we, there are times when we should back up what we're saying by appealing to a higher authority, God. Look at what Paul says in New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We see Paul doing that very thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, But I call God to witness against me. That is something like, If I'm wrong, may God strike me dead. So he's appealing to a higher authority. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Some of those in Corinth thought Paul was shunning them. And he says, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I didn't come. It's not that I didn't love you. It's that I loved you so much. Read 2 Corinthians. Long story going on there. But so notice, Old Testament passage, New Testament passage, there are times when it's right to back up the truth of what you're saying by appeal to a higher authority. So then why does James say we should not swear? What's he talking about here? What helped me to understand it was to look at what Jesus teaches in Matthew 23. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 23, 16 and 17. Here he is speaking words of woe, words of judgment to the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. And let me just mention, the Pharisees and the scribes were not following the Old Testament. They had taken the Old Testament and completely distorted the Old Testament. They had twisted it into a system of works. They had twisted it into their own self-serving religion, which elevated them and honored them and brought them power and money and fame. So they were not following the Old Testament. The scribes and Pharisees were following their own distortion of the Old Testament. And so Jesus calls them out and listen to the woe he speaks to them here. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides, who say, here's what the Pharisees would teach. If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. That is, you can lie if you're swearing by the temple. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Then he says to them, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? So see, the religious leaders of the time had thought of ways to, to lie, 
thought of ways to avoid telling the truth. They said, well, if you swear by the temple, then you can lie. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you got to hold to it. I was thinking back when I was growing up. I don't know if we're all from different cultures here, but when I was growing up, if you like crossed your fingers and put it behind your back, you could say whatever you wanted to, right? Okay. It's kind of like that. It's like Pharisees taught that? Really? Yes, they did. And that's what I think James is talking about, because that's what was going on in the culture of the time. Some of James' readers thought, well, if you swore by God, you had to tell the truth, but if you swore by something less, maybe heaven, maybe the earth, then you didn't have to tell the truth. And James is saying, do not think that you can justify lying by swearing by something less than God. Okay? So that's what he's telling us not to do. There are times when it's right to back up the truth of what you're saying by appealing to God or higher authority. But don't appeal to some lesser authority and then think, because it's lesser, I can lie. Wrong. That's what he's talking about, beginning of verse 12. So let's read this beginning of verse 12 again to see. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, like heaven or earth or crossing your fingers behind your back. So what James is saying is don't rationalize don't justify your lying. In other words, don't lie. That's what he's telling us not to do. Clear on that? Does that make sense? So what is James calling us to do? Second part of verse 12. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Okay, so what does that mean when Jesus says that? Well, here's the picture I have. Let's say that over here is truth. Okay, here's, here's this truth section, okay? This is truth, everything that's absolutely true, all right? And so what James is saying is that your words should be here, truth, okay? Your words should match the truth. Your words should reflect the truth. Your words should be the truth. If you speak words that are not truth, but they're over here, that's wrong, because you should have your words, if your yes should be yes in truth, and your words be no, in truth. So if you're speaking words, they should always match the truth. If your words ever don't match the truth or if it's over there, then that's a problem. That's what James is telling us. So always speak the truth. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you a couple of examples. I mean, I know you know what it means, but let me just give you a couple of examples. Let's say, for example, that you go for an iftar dinner, and the place you go to says, kids under 10 years old eat free. And you've got six kids Okay, and uh, three of them are under 10 years old, and the other three look like maybe they could be under 10 years old, and, but you want to let your yes be yes and your no be no. You want your words to be truth, and so when the waiter says, are your children all under 10? You say, three of them are and three of them aren't. So your words are truth. Does that make sense? All right. Another example. Let's say you're driving home from work and there's an accident and it takes you an extra hour to get home. And later on that week, you're with some friends and they're all telling tall stories, laughing and impressing each other. And you, you say, well, you know, I, I drove home from work and we had an accident and it took me, and you're tempted maybe to embellish the story, but you say, it took me an hour, an extra hour to get home. And they say, whoa. So you didn't exaggerate. You just told the exact truth, right? Your words were the truth. Your yes was yes. Your no was no. That's what James is calling us to do. Or let's say one morning this week, we hope this wouldn't happen, but your alarm clock goes off, you turn it off, go back to sleep, 
wake up late to work and your boss says, how come you're late this morning? Now, your words couldn't be over here somewhere, okay? Traffic, let your yes be yes. Say, I am so sorry, I overslept this morning. I'm committed not to letting that happen again. You let your yes be yes and your no be no. Does that make sense? That's what James is calling us to do. Tell the truth. Now, talking to Jan about this yesterday, and she reminded me of what she taught our kids. This is a parenting moment, okay? So just for, for you parents out there. This is so helpful to be reminded of. She, she explained to our kids that, that God is a God of truth. Everything God says is true. It is reality. It's the truth. God is a God of truth. God loves truth. And so when we speak the truth, then we are in fellowship with God through Jesus. But if we're not speaking the truth, then we're walking away from God. We're out of fellowship with God. And so it's not just that we tell our kids, you shouldn't, you shouldn't lie because it's wrong. It is wrong. But there's bigger reasons, or there's reasons why it's wrong. It's because when, when we tell things that aren't true, we're walking away from fellowship with God. And there's no one who's going to satisfy our hearts more than God knowing God through Jesus. And so then you also tell your kids, when you do lie, you can ask Jesus to forgive you if you mean it from the heart, and he will completely forgive you. And then you can ask him to change your heart. He will change your heart. So you, you want to be in fellowship with God more than whatever you wanted to get by lying. And so it's a, what a powerful, isn't that a great parenting lesson? So parents, teach your kids to tell the truth so that they can be walking through Christ in fellowship with God. Because that's the point. Here's truth. And our words should all be over here. If we're talking words that are over here, then that means we're not telling the truth and we're lying. And James says that's a problem. Now, how does James motivate us not to lie? This is very sobering, what he says. Let's read the whole verse to get the flow of thought. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, that might raise some questions in your mind. Could we fall under condemnation? I thought Paul said, there is, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Paul said? So how could we fall under condemnation. Let me try to explain. I think James and Paul are right in sync here on this point. Here's what James is saying. It's what he's been saying throughout this book. James is not saying that lying is the unpardonable sin, and if you lie, then it's all over for you in terms of avoiding God's condemnation. Here's what James is saying. If we continue lying, if we have a practice of lying, we know it's wrong, but we continue practicing it anyway, without repenting before God, without confessing it before the Lord Jesus and being assured of forgiveness, without asking Jesus, help me, change my heart. I want to stop lying without battling against it. If we're just walking along in a practice of disobeying Christ, sinning willfully, then what that shows is that we're not trusting Jesus. You're not. You're not trusting Jesus if that's how you're living. And the only way we can escape God's condemnation for our sins is because of what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, and because we're connected to what Jesus did by faith, trusting him. So do you see what James is saying? He's saying, if you're walking in a practice of lying, and if nothing changes, 
you're going to face God's condemnation. Couldn't be more serious than that. And here's the beautiful thing. At great cost to himself, Jesus came, fully God, took on human nature, great humbling, and humbled himself to the point of obedience to death on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus paid for sin like lying. And so you can be completely forgiven for your lying through what Jesus did. He loves you. He cares about you. Look at the cost he incurred so that we could be forgiven for lying in every other sin as well. So if, if you here this morning have a, a pattern of lying and you've been uh, nonchalant about it, you have been casual about it, you haven't taken it seriously, it would not be loving if we didn't point out to you that James says, take this seriously. Take it very seriously. But see, the good news is Jesus is standing before you with everything you need to be forgiven and to be changed. Everything. See, the beautiful thing is we just say, Jesus, help me. Okay, I'm bringing a lying heart to you. Change this heart. And does Jesus say, you change it? Does he say that? We can't. But if we say, help me, change me, through the word, by your power, change this heart. He changes hearts again and again and again and again and again. No one here needs to fear condemnation. Not because you're so strong spiritually, but because Jesus Christ can change any heart, can forgive any sin, can save any of us. So that's how James motivates us not to lie. He warns us with the reality of condemnation. Now, if we're honest, we'll admit that there's, there's times, we all have times when we want to lie, right? We all, all of us, we have a sin nature. We've been saved through faith in Christ. He broke the power of our sin nature. It's dying, but it's not dead yet. Not dead until heaven. It's dying, praise God. It's dying, it's gonna die. There's no doubt about it, but it's not dead yet. So every once in a while, it takes one last stab at you, right? And it makes you want to, lie. So there you are at the restaurant, got your six kids, and you, 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 you want to lie about, wouldn't it be nice to have all your kids eat for free tonight, you know, save you some money, and there's something in you that wants to do that, right? Or you're there talking with your friends, and they're all telling their impressive stories, ooh and ah, and, and you're thinking, one hour doesn't sound so good. I could talk about how it took me two hours to get home, and so there's something in you that wants to impress people by making your story better, Right? Or you're standing before your boss and he says, how come you're late? And there's something in you that, doesn't, that, that wants to lie and say uh, traffic uh, something, you know, medical emergency, right? There's something in us that wants to lie. So here's the question. How can we fight lying? How can we stop lying? What can we do? James doesn't answer that in this verse, but he does answer it back in James chapter 2, verse 17. We've, we've talked about that verse before, but I want to bring it back out and, and again help you see how that applies to this situation. See, in James chapter 2, verse 17, James tells us what the problem is if we don't speak the truth. If we want to lie in a situation, what is the problem? And James pinpoints what the problem is. Look at what he says, James chapter 2, verse 17. He says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Read that again. So also, 
faith by itself, if it does not have works, works of obedience to God, like telling the truth, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, that faith is dead. Now, if your faith is dead, the only way to get works is by doing what? Reviving your faith. Okay, so if the reason you lack works is because your faith is dead, how do you get works? Reviving your faith. Your faith needs to come alive, and then there will be works. See, there's a cause-effect relationship. Remember this from a few months ago? A cause-effect relationship between genuine faith in Christ and God-centered works of obedience, like telling the truth. Living faith always produces truth-telling. So if you want to not tell the truth, there's a problem in your faith. That's what James wants us to understand. So the solution has to do with our faith. Now remember, a few months ago, we used the illustration about a beating heart and a pulse in your wrist. Remember that? Some of you remember that? Okay. Heart beating, pulse in your wrist. Now if your heart is alive and beating, you'll feel a pulse in your wrist. Go ahead, check it out. Make sure it's still good. All right. Here, if your heart is beating, you'll feel a pulse in your wrist. If your heart is alive, it produces a, pu- a pulse. But if you, if you think your heart is alive and you don't feel any pulse, what's the problem? Your heart is dead, okay? Now, now think of how foolish it would be if you, there's no pulse there. And if you think that you need to do something to the wrist to produce a pulse, right? Start, start pulsing, right? Start pulsing. Is that, is that going to do anything to create a pulse? I know you wouldn't be doing it because you'd be dead, but you know, understand the illustration, okay? <laughs> Every illustration breaks down somewhere. So if there's no pulse in your wrist, is like slapping your wrist going to create a pulse? Help me out here. Are you getting this? Okay. Uh, shaking your wrist, maybe that'll help. Is that going to get a pulse? No. There's only one way to get a pulse. Revive the heart. And that's what James wants us to understand, If you are wanting to lie, the problem is not mostly lack of dedication, lack of willpower. The problem is with your faith. There's there's a promise in God's word that you're not trusting at that moment. There's something about God, who he is, what he's promised to be to us in Christ that you're not trusting. Because if you were trusting it, you would want to tell the truth. The fact that you don't want to tell the truth shows that you're not trusting it. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to like take the word of God. I love this part, okay? And you like open it up to a promise. Clear. Boom. Remember how that goes on all the TV shows? Okay. Boom. And then blub, 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 blub. Okay. God will use his word to revive your heart, your faith. So your faith goes from dead faith, not trusting in that promise, to living faith, trusting in that promise. And then your heart will be changed and you will want to tell the truth. It won't just be gritting your teeth. You'll want to tell the truth. Now, (coughs) what promise might be helpful for that? There's lots of them. But let me just share with you one. And I hope that you'll... (laughs) Excuse me. I've got a bottle of water in my... Thanks, son. I hope you'll memorize this promise. So this is like your go-to promise Yeah, whenever you are tempted to, to lie. Okay, one moment. That's better. Okay. Psalm 84.11. Here's what we read. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And here's the promise. No good thing does he withhold 
from those who walk uprightly, which means telling the truth. It's part of walking uprightly, right? No good thing, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, you might think, well, that rules me out right there because I'm not walking uprightly. I'm not walking sinlessly. So what does that have to do with me? So let me explain. Walking uprightly does not mean walking sinlessly. There's only one human being who's ever walked sinlessly, and who's that? Jesus Christ, the God-man. None of us here is sinless. I pray, we pray that we're, we're fighting sin more and more. We're gaining more and more ground over sin all the way through to heaven. But we're going to be battling sin until heaven. So none of us are sinless. But walking uprightly does not mean sinless. Walking uprightly means, means this. means four things. I acknowledge that I've sinned against God and deserve punishment from him forever. Just humbled before my sin and God's judgment. But then secondly, I understand that through Jesus Christ, his blood shed on the cross, his life of perfect righteousness, by faith alone in Christ, I can be forgiven for every sin, past, present, and future, clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So the Father is smiling upon me as much as if I had been morally blameless all my life. That's number two. Isn't that amazing? So we acknowledge our sin, we put our trust in Jesus, and then third, by faith, for Christ's glory, for my joy in beholding Christ and worshiping him, I'm committing to obeying Jesus, walking in holiness, walking in godliness, putting to death sin, and by God's grace, telling the truth everywhere I go. That's number three. And then number four is crucial. When I fail, not if, when I sin, when I fail, I turn back to Jesus. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Change my heart. I turned away from you into, into sin. Cleanse me, renew me, and then you get back in and start fighting the good fight again. Okay, that means to walk uprightly, those four things. Acknowledging our sin, trusting Christ as our only salvation, by faith, committing to follow him, walking in holiness and godliness, and when we sin, repenting and confessing before Jesus, being assured of forgiveness again, and getting back in the game again, right? Walking uprightly. All of you can be walking uprightly. Doesn't mean being sinless. It means walking in humility, faith, and repentance when we do sin. And here's what God promises. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, we're talking about the God of the universe here, who has existed from eternity past and will exist in the future forever, and who is in sovereign control of every cell, every atom in the universe who knows everything, past, present, and future, who has planned everything, past, present, and future, who is perfectly good, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. We're talking about God here. I mean, see, our minds just, we just, anyway, we can't come close to comprehending God. And God promises no good thing will I withhold from you and you and you and you as you walk uprightly. So this means that God who's massive, looks way down in this little teeny tiny solar system. And then in that little teeny tiny solar system, there's an even teenier, tinier earth. And then on the earth, there's this little person, me, you, and we've rebelled against him. We've committed treason against him. And at great cost to himself, he sent his son to become a man and to suffer on the cross. 
At a great cost to Jesus, he lowered himself from being fully God to becoming a man and suffering on the cross so we could be forgiven. And so by Jesus' blood and righteousness, we can be saved and the God of the universe can commit to us little teeny people. No good thing will I withhold from you who walk uprightly. Or to put it positively, as you walk uprightly, I commit, I swear, I promise, every good thing you will have. The God of the universe promises to provide you every good thing. Every good thing. How many good things? Every good thing. Any good things left out? No. So like, they're all included? Okay. Like every single one? Okay. Somebody's getting it here. Thank you. The rest of you learning from Nigel here. Okay. Now, now I, I do need to mention that the Bible itself teaches that part of the good things God gives to us are trials and suffering, right? Because the Bible says that trials and suffering can bring us more of God, who is the best thing, right? So just be, be clear here. But the point is that as you look out to your future, the God of the universe, because of Christ, at great cost to himself, is committed to bringing you every good thing you need. Now, what does that have to do with lying? What's the connection there? Whenever we lie, it's always for one reason, I think. See if this makes sense. It's because we think there's something good that we will only get by lying. There's something good I want that I'm only going to get by lying. Does that make sense? Okay, so for example, um, you lie to the waiter about how old your kids are because you, want, you think the only way you can get the good of having some more money is by not paying for all your kids. Right? You exaggerate the story with your friends because you think that the only way to get the good of having friends really think you're cool and really like you and want to be interested in you, the only way to get that good is by lying and exaggerating your story. You think the, the original story wouldn't, wouldn't quite bring you as much good as, as the exaggerated story would. You lie about why you're late for work because you think the only way to get the good of job security, respect from your boss, is by lying about why you're late. So the only reason we lie is because we think there is some good we'll only get by lying about it. And do you see how when we believe that, we are not believing Psalm 8411? Do you see that? At that moment when I want to tell a lie, I am not believing a promise of God. I'm not believing Psalm 8411. Do you see that? This is so important to get. That's why I want to lie. If I believed Psalm 8411, I wouldn't want to lie. Oh, no, no, no. The way to get every good I need is by walking uprightly, which includes telling the truth. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. And, you know, money might be tight with the restaurant. We could go to a cheaper restaurant, hun, with all kinds of things you can do, right? But the, the, the way to get every good thing is by trusting God, speaking the truth, walking uprightly. Not that speaking the truth earns good from God. Again, this is his mercy through Jesus but there's no good thing that he withholds from those who walk uprightly. So do you see that when you want to lie, it's because you're not trusting this promise. This is so key. So how do you have your heart changed so you want to tell the truth? You trust this promise. How do you do that? Well, you, you take time to open up the Bible. You pray. You confess. I'm not trusting you right now, Father. Forgive me. I have every reason to trust you, but I'm not 
Cleanse me from that through Jesus. Use your word now to strengthen my faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes through the word. Open up the word, pray over the word, faith will come. This is so beautiful. I mean, you can come to the Bible with no faith. This is what I do so much of the time. Open up the word, start to pray in time. Faith starts to rise. That's what God promises. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you open up the Bible to Psalm 8411 or there's other verses that you could use as well. And you say, help me to believe this. I don't believe this right now, but you promise no good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. You might take time just to reflect on God's faithfulness to Israel. You were faithful. God's faithfulness to Abraham. You were faithful. God's love and faithfulness displayed in Christ. You've never broken a promise. You've never said a lie. You've never said you would do something and didn't do it. You will do this. Help me to trust you. Strengthen my faith in you. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me through this passage right now. Change my heart. And he will. And you'll see, as I walk uprightly, if I tell the truth now, I can be absolutely confident that he will withhold no good thing from me. And when you believe that then, what will you do? What will you do? Uh, all my six kids uh, aren't under 10. Okay, three of them are, three of them aren't. I'll pay for three of them. And by, great, God, by God's grace through Jesus, you know, God's going to reward that walking uprightly with good. You know what it'll be? But he'll, he'll take care of your finances, right? He's in control of finances, right? When you really believe Psalm 8411, you're, you're telling your story to your friends about how, it, how long it took you to get home from work. You're tempted to maybe say it's two hours, but no, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The friends I long for, the respect I, I long for, God's going to take care of that. I'm going to just tell the truth here. And you trust him. Boss asks why you're late. Oh, man. So easy to say something else. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. The path to getting every good thing I need is by speaking the truth. So you tell your boss, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I, was, I, just, I overslept. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you see how that works? Where does the good work of truth-telling come from? Alive faith. If you want to lie, it shows there's a problem in your faith. There's promises you're not trusting like Psalm 8411. So how do you start to tell the truth again? Revive your faith. Praying over promises like Psalm 8411 until you know this is true. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that powerful? I hope this is hope-giving to you. See, the Christian life is not having a, a list of things to do and you just kind of start working on them by your own gritting your teeth and your own willpower and I'm going to try to do this. It all flows from faith in Christ. You come and say, help me. Strengthen my faith in your promises and when you do that, your heart will change and obedience will come. That's how it works. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. See, Grace Church... Let's pray that we can be a church that's known for truth-telling. Somebody from Grace Church, they're telling, they tell the truth, even at, at cost to us. Truth-telling. So Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts right now.
just want to give you a chance right now, if you need to, just to confess before the Lord any recent lying. Let's be honest with the Lord. Confess this before him. Jesus is standing before you with all the forgiveness you need. You don't need to change first to be forgiven. You come as you are and say, forgive me, and he will forgive you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would be giving us time this week to pray over Psalm 8411. And that as we do that, you would strengthen our faith. That we would see that as we tell the truth, you've promised that you will bring us every good thing. Strengthen us with that, Lord, I pray. And we worship you that because of Jesus we can be forgiven through Jesus. We can be changed. And that the love and the faithfulness we see in Jesus shows that you will be faithful to every one of your promises, including this one. And so we can trust you. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship.